For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. The scripture reading today is from Luke 6, 17 through 26. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you who, when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you and defame you, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Micah. Okay, so, uh, friends, how are we to hear those words? We who are not poor and we who are not hungry, how are we to understand the nature of the kingdom of God. On the surface, this text, there's kind of a nice little structure to it, isn't there? People who have a hard time in life, they end up getting a reward, while the rich are told that they've gotten all they deserve here on earth. My question, though, and maybe it's your question, too, is that it can't be that simple. Can it? So, first all-play question How do you hear these words of Jesus? What questions or reactions can you offer? This is called the Sermon on the Plain, by the way, because we already had a Sermon on the Mount. What questions, what reactions, what reflections? Seems backwards. Upside down, yeah, Rick. Thanks, man. It does. What else? Anyone feel kind of guilty? No? Okay. Yeah. Like, is there a line there? Can we please, like, can we all put our tax returns and... Get a green light or red light, well, better lose a little more money. Um, yeah, how rich is too rich? What else? Yes. Exactly, Micah. He, and actually, he was with the disciples, if you read the first, the verses right before this text, if you have a Bible or something, you can see that he was up on a mountain with them. He called, he chose them, he named them. And 
he could have told them all this stuff up there. But he takes them down, and it says, on a level plane, he looks up at them, and all these masses of crowds are there, but he's just talking to them. So why is that? And why all the language of coming down from the mountain, looking up at the disciples, standing on a level plane? What's that all about? I'm actually asking you the question. I mean, <laughs> ooh, the humility and the humbling of the Son of Man. Thanks, Will. Like looking up, level. Yeah, Sally is saying this is in, some teachings are for the crowd, some teachings are for the disciples, and this is an intimacy instruction. I think there's so much here. Um, I want to echo a couple of things, um, because on a deeper and more personal level, I read this and feel troubled because I know where I fall. I've been blessed with a mostly good life, uh, and so if we read the teachings of Jesus here, I, I have to ask, like, does that make me on the bad side? <laughs> Is it woe to me? Or, or do I have to suffer in order to receive God's blessings? It seems like that's, that's one of the conclusions that you could draw. And so, but then... As I thought about that, I began to think along the lines of what you said, Sally, is how rich is rich enough. Because if you and I think that we have to become poor, hungry, or sad before we can be blessed by God, then we're going to start asking the question, well, how poor is poor enough? Right? How hungry is hungry enough? And if we follow that train of thought, then we're going to start comparing how poor or hungry or sad we are to how poor or hungry or sad other people are. And then we'll say that we're more poor, more hungry, more sad, and so we're probably blessed, and so we're probably okay. Or we'll look at our lives and say, I have a little too much money, I have a little too much happiness, I have a little too much satisfaction, and so I better try really, really hard to be more hungry, more sad, and more poor. Anybody tired yet? Right, so like, okay, so this is part of why we have to dig past the surface level. So remember, in the first century, now, this is no um, huge aha, but human beings raise their level of consciousness as the centuries go on, right? So like, when we read in the Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and 4, and we read that Cain murdered Abel, we're like, why did he murder Abel? These people are essentially, in terms of people and the development of human history, they're babies. And so they act in violent ways, right? By the time we get up to the first century, we've really, really advanced a long ways. But the understanding about God still is that if you're rich and healthy, you have God's blessing. That means God is blessing you. If you're poor and sick, that means God is punishing you. That was the understanding, even among the religious. And so Jesus is saying something to these disciples to 
as Rick said, try to change the price tags and turn things upside down, but it would have been very confusing to hear a religious leader say these things. So I posted on our Facebook uh, page, you know, the question like, hey, how do, how do you react to this? And for like 24 hours, it was just nothing. Uh, no responses from you. So much so that Aaron Freer, the pastor of Genesis East, made fun of me and texted me like, hey man, nice responses from your congregation. And I'm like, exactly, blessed are the poor, Aaron Freer. If you're listening, no, it's funny. We go back and forth a lot. It's, it's awesome. So Katie Schlank, anybody remember Katie Schlank? One of my dear friends and a theologian in her own right, she texted me, listen, this is what I think is going on. And she went through this thing of like, notice how there's this movement. He goes down from the mountain. He doesn't tell them up on the mountain. Why is that? He's standing on a level plane. When he's telling him things, he's looking up. The disciples are so great. And then she said, um, so Jesus basically is telling the disciples, if you're empty right now, starting this journey together, then you're on the right track. But if you're full of anything, really, then I'll have nothing to teach you, and it'll be all for naught. I love that she used all for naught. What a beautiful phrase. Uh, and then she said, he didn't need to address the crowd because they already knew how much they needed him. But woe to you, she said, woe to us who think we're already set because we'll be missing our chance. So growing up, I didn't have a frame of reference that said if you're rich and happy, God is blessing you, or if you're poor and unhappy, God is punishing you. But I did have a dualistic frame of reference and framework for sure. And it was that... um, If you believe the right things and in general stay out of trouble, then God would bless you. Meaning you'd get the right spouse and maybe go to the right college and, you know, all these really, really important things in the eyes of the kingdom. Nervous chuckles. But if you believe the wrong things or if you've been divorced or had sex before you got married, especially that one as I was growing up, um, or if you drank too much, especially that one as I was growing up, then God is going to punish or reject you in some way. Um, And so when I read this, um, this sermon on the plain, blessed are the poor, I'm tempted to either make it into kind of a, like a, morality play like, okay, well, I better get poor in spirit or or I better get more hungry for God or I better get less satisfied with, you know, my Apple watch or something like that. Because man, that that is not the life. But then if I follow that train of thought, I'm just gonna end up comparing myself to everybody who's really is getting satisfaction from their Apple watch losers. You ever notice that like the second you get on any kind of a health kick or like diet kick or you know maybe you're on paleo or keto or is it keto or keto? what is it? Keto? Keto? Uh, then you start noticing how many donuts other people eat. <laughs> you're like loser. What are you doing? When like the day before you absolutely had six donuts you know. 
I'm starting keto today. And we do the same thing in terms of the spiritual realm if we're thinking in this dualistic way of God punishes those who do wrong and God blesses those who do right. So perhaps when Jesus teaches the Beatitudes, it's not a list of character traits or morals that you and I should or even could aspire to. Perhaps what Jesus is not saying is you will be blessed when you finally become poor. You will be filled when you finally become hungry. You will laugh when you finally mourn. Perhaps Jesus is not saying that. Perhaps, on the other hand, Jesus is telling everyone who assumes that their poverty, hunger, and sadness is because God is punishing them for doing something wrong or believing something wrong. Perhaps God is telling them that the kingdom of God already belongs to them and God is already on their side already, even in the middle of their stumbling, fumbling, inability to get it right, inability to cut the addiction, inability to believe the right thing, inability to stay connected to the church, inability to forgive that person. God is on your side already for anyone who feels like God has abandoned them on the basis of what they do. The good news of the gospel, the counterintuitive, joyous, exuberant news is that Jesus has brought the unending, limitless, and stunning love of God to even us. Amen? And perhaps, woe to you, Jesus is telling everyone who assumes their position, satisfaction, and happiness is because God is blessing them for doing something right or believing something right. Perhaps Jesus is saying you should enjoy those blessings now because they won't even be there in the life that is to come. That position, that status, that feeling of your right. Perhaps the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, aren't primarily about what we're supposed to do. Perhaps they're really about who God is and how God responds to us. Perhaps we aren't necessarily called to be the things outlined in the Beatitudes. Instead, they tell us who God is. And then verse 22, blessed are you and people hate you. Because that feels awesome. Uh, Blessed are you when they exclude you, when they revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Even leap for joy. (laughs) For surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. Now, I used to think that was about like the atheists coming down hard on the Christians. You know those atheists, man. They're always trying to embarrass us, put us in our place, throwing science at us. But I've since come to believe that it's not about the atheists at all. Um, 
It's about the Christians who hate you and exclude you and revile you and defame you because you're doing something or believing something that makes the circle of inclusion wider instead of more narrow. And that exposes something. And when it exposes something, when power is exposed as wanting and lacking, power typically responds with hatred and anger. So whenever you feel that way, you know what I mean? It's probably because some perceived power you have is being threatened and something is being exposed that needs to be exposed. Trying to tell you something, Will. What do you think it's trying to tell you? You're like, dude, I, I, just, I, I, don't, I just said that thing. I'm like, Let's do it. Okay, what Will said was, when I notice I'm being angry, and I try to pay attention to what my anger is telling me, then I move to a different disposition. It, it reminds me of what my friend David, I think he's here maybe, but um, we, we, we talk about this thing, do you have it or does it have you? So like, if your anger has you, it'll never teach you anything. But if you have it, you can hold it and look at it and examine it like you were just saying, you can say, oh, what does it have to teach me? Hmm. What does my judgment have to teach me? What does my exclusion have to teach me? What is my sorrow, sadness? It helps you see your blind spots. And it's a valuable emotion to feel when you can have it, Will said. Thank you, Will. Enneagram 3, bringing it down. Being personal. Hmm. Well, our brother from another mother, Rob Bell, translates the Beatitudes this way. God is on your side when you don't have it all together. God is on your side when you've run out of strength, ideas, willpower, resolve, or energy. God is on your side when you ache because of how severely out of whack the world is. God is on your side when you stumble, trip, and fall in the same place again and again. God is on your side when you, on a regular basis, have a dark day in which despair seems to be a step behind you wherever you go. Blessed are you, for God is with you. God is on your side. God meets you in that very place. The gospel is the counterintuitive, joyous, exuberant news that Jesus has brought the unending, limitless, stunning love of God to even us. And the gospel keeps drawing the circle wider and wider and wider and wider. And if you're not offended by it sometimes... then that has something to teach you. Right, Will? 